You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Well, I have been temporarily blocked from Facebook. Well, great. What? How? <laughs> Here's what Facebook has said. You've been temporarily blocked from performing this action. We were just barely allowed back on Facebook. So now we're oh. here. You know what? We're just going to have this be the cold introduction. Uh, say <laughs> ha- hello, everybody, except for Facebook users. Apparently, we're banned again from Facebook because of our hardcore radical takes about freedom and loving your neighbor, which we can't have any of that going around because that'll kill oh, everybody. <laughs> Lauren's got all this contraband. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Welcome to Enemy My, My Enemy. I am Hody Johns. I'm Ryan Graham. And I'm Lou McKinnon. And uh, this is the show. I appreciate y'all joining us today. Sorry about that unprofessional uh, introduction. <clears throat> but from here on out, it's going to be nothing but straight-laced conversation. You can tell by all the liquor we aren't drinking right now right. That, uh, that this is going to be a very professional conversation. I apologize so, in advance if my dogs decide to join the conversation as well. That's all right. That's how. That's what separate. That's the only thing that celebrates us from CBS. And frankly, I don't want the power. They're just too big. Uh, they're just. I'm not ready for that responsibility yet. My, my other podcast is literally three people drinking and talking about sports. So three people drinking and talking about. Well, some of us are drinking, but and talking about politics is uh, pretty much right up my alley. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So this is a show, guys, where we represent right, left, and center libertarian uh, values. We got kind of a hodgepodge of the right, left, and center today because. Uh, some of the, you know how scheduling works with hosting, but we'll make sure everybody is well represented. Whatever your libertarian walk of life is, you'll be represented. So today we're going to discuss the menthol ban. CBS reports uh, started, started whispers were coming out about on the 28th. CBS reported on the 29th that this ban actually came directly from the White House and to the FDA. The FDA was the one releasing the statement, but CBS was the one that reports that the White House was working on them with it. Um, according to the FDA's website on this one, FDA.gov, menthol is the only flavor of cigarette that has not been banned. So this ban that they're, uh, they actually are not asking for permission. There is nothing to pass. Uh, many people are wondering like if it'll pass Congress, um, it does not need to. This is a ban that will ban menthol, which is the last flavor of cigarette and it will ban all flavors of cigars which there are quite a few of those. So it's not just a menthol ban. Uh, To quote, I'm going to read a few things from the FDA because, hey, we want to make sure we get their perspective on this one. Efforts to ban menthol cigarettes, ban flavored cigars, build on on previous flavor ban, and mark significant steps to reduce addiction and youth experimentation, improve quitting, and address health disparities. So the disparities is a part of this. There's a lot of people talking about the racial disparities and how this, how this will disproportionately affect the African-American community. Uh, the FDA is aware of that, and that's part of the reason they actually are making this decision. Uh, according to them, banning menthol, the last level flavor in cigarettes, and banning all flavors in cigars will help save lives, particularly among those disproportionately affected by these deadly products. With these actions, the FDA will help significantly reduce youth initiation, increase the chances of smoking cessation among current smokers, and address health disparities experienced by communities of color, low-income populations, and LGBTQ plus individuals, all of whom are far more likely to use these tobacco products. That is a quote from FDA Commissioner <laughs> Janet Woodcock, MD. Together, these actions represent powerful science-based approaches that will have an extraordinarily public health impact. Armed with strong scientific evidence and with full support from the administration, 
We believe these actions will launch us in a trajectory towards ending tobacco-related disease and death in the U.S. Now, to quote them, and this is also on their website, this is not something that they have to pass through Congress. Uh, and this is, this is, again, on FDA.gov. This isn't something they're hiding. This is in their introductory paragraph. The authority to adopt product standards is one of the most powerful tobacco regulatory tools Congress gave the agency. This decision is based on clear science, evidence, yada, yada. But basically, they have the power to just say, we're banning it, and it's done. There's nothing that it has to pass. The FDA has the power to do this. Um, I guess we'll start with Lauren. Um, Lou, give us your thoughts on the menthol ban. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For those who are purely listening, what are you doing? I'm... I'm going to smoke a menthol cigarette. Um, no. So are we allowed to cuss on this show? Because you know. I told Chris to mark everything we do as explicit. Nice. Perfect. Because <laughs> fuck this shit. <laughs> I, okay. They're trying to come off like this is helping the poor community and the black community and the marginalized communities and all this bullshit. And the reality is it's the, all of the communities that they don't mention smoke less in general, right? Not just that they smoke more menthols, they smoke more cigarettes, more cigars. Well, okay. They purchase cigars. We purchase cigars. We don't always smoke cigars (laughs) because I can promise you the flavors they're talking about banning from cigars are not your like hoity-toity pipe tobacco that had you know it's aged in some whiskey barrel. No, they're talking about the grape blunts at 7-Eleven. We all know what they're doing, right? So they're limiting some of those things that God, I, I don't know. I'm so mad about the entire thing. So then just the fact that they're using stereotypes to – they don't even realize how racist they are and how much they're the ones stereotyping people and how much they're the ones criminalizing. And, like, did we forget about Eric Garner, really? Like, do we need to have that discussion again? Is that even necessary? Um, because all this is going to do is put more of those – people of color, people in marginalized communities, low-income communities in the position to have those interactions with police again. And of course, their argument will start with, well, no, no, no. It's just a ban on, you know, buying and selling retail. Okay, well, then it becomes, well, you can't buy it or sell it. Where'd you get it? And that becomes its own problem. And then we're looking at more legislation and more rules and things that the government's going to tell me what to do with my body, which that in and of itself just makes me cringe. So, um, sorry, my dogs are <laughs> fighting again. I get it. I'm angry too. Um, you know, and I, I look at Biden and Harris and think, okay, they made their careers on enforcing unjust drug laws and writing them and all of these things, right? So we can go back to 
what is it, the 80s, and crack in communities of color, right? And then the 90s and 2000s, and it was marijuana. Now, granted, we didn't legalize crack, but it kind of, I won't say stop being a thing, but it was used to target people of color, low-income communities, and lock them up. And same thing with marijuana. Just as many white people smoke pot as black people. But we don't get pulled over for it. And now that, you know, the entire country wants to legalize marijuana, Biden and Harris are like, well, shit, we've built our careers on punishing that and punishing those communities, right, for a vice. So now let's pick a new one. And it's all bullshit. They tried this several years ago and they got sued and it went away. It didn't happen. I don't think it's going to happen. The tobacco companies still, I mean, granted they're losing their hold on Congress, but the lobbyists are still there. It's still a thing. And unless, you know, maybe this is some push for any of the tobacco companies that are pivoting to vape, but they've outlawed so many vape products or ability or access. So that doesn't make sense either. So you're going to have the tobacco lobbyists, lawsuits, the whole thing. I just don't see it happening. It's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. And I, you know, there's always something. Sorry. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a bunch of menthol smoke and mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, no, I'll be there. Like, I feel like I jumped all over the place, but there are probably like three or four different issues that are such a problem with this entire band that it's hard to choose one. You know, I, it's just, it's always a money grab. It's, you sound like you're taking care of this, that, or the other community, but you're not, you're really just targeting them. Anyway, I'm going to smoke a menthol because it pissed me off. Hody, I can't hear you. No, thank you for your thoughts on that one. Uh, Ryan, how do you feel? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to add that I don't think necessarily a lot of these laws are, are created with the intention of targeting communities of color. Um, but as libertarians, we understand that, you know, Bastiat taught us the uh, on, on scene, the scene and the on scene, right? The unforeseen consequences of your of your actions. And so, you know, if Eric Garner taught us anything, it's that laws against um, laws against tobacco cause uh, friction between citizens, peaceful citizens and police that are needless. They're they're unnecessary and they're going to cause death. Uh, they, they can cause death. Uh, and a lot of people will say that it was his resistance that that caused it. But I mean, why why shouldn't you resist, uh, you know, selling a couple of Lucy's on the on the corner uh, being arrested for for selling a couple of Lucy's on the on the corner? Also, anyone that watched that video knows that Eric Garner did not, in fact, resist arrest. Um, he was very cordial throughout the entire thing. Um, so you go in and, and you know, I, I, I made fun of the menthol thing and they they did actually very explicitly target communities of color in that um they they just made it sound real nice for whatever reason uh they said we're, we're trying to help them uh instead they're creating more friction between law enforcement and those communities 
Um, and then they went on with the flavored, uh, flavored cigars, which, um, so I live in a community that is predominantly black and, um, we do a park cleanup and a lot of what we clean up, I'm not going to lie. It's flavored cigars, tons of them, tons of them. And back when I smoked a lot of pot, uh, we smoked a lot of blunts. I loved blunts, man. That was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't smoke a lot of pot these days. I drink a lot more now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like flavored cigars made really good blunts. I'll tell you that. And, uh, so I can't help, but think they're targeting cannabis users with things like that. Um, and again, communities of color and, you know, I, I don't think they think that they're going to hurt those communities, but that is in fact what the outcome will be. We have data on this. We we've seen it throughout history. This is exactly what's going to happen. Um, and then you look at this administration and when they have been asked about cannabis, uh, in the last month, they have actually come out and said, we're too busy to address this. We're working on the pandemic, but then they come out with nonsense like this with the menthols and the flavored cigars. And you're like, okay, so you're too busy to, to deal with the, the, uh, victimization of people who peacefully use a drug, but you're going to outlaw this other thing. You're not too busy to outlaw this thing that's been legal forever. And that is going to, that will impact communities of color who you, I mean, they campaigned on where your ally, you know? And it's like, here's, here's what that allyship gained you. Uh, congratulations. So um, it just seems like in the face of Eric Garner, um, they're deaf. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's like they don't learn anything. It's like, I, I like to say that politicians can't see two steps ahead, three steps ahead, whatever, but they can't see one step ahead. I mean, we have hard evidence of this happening and they can't see anything like that. So, um, you know, all this will do is whether or not they intended institutional racism or anything like that, it just gives cops a reason to go and provide friction in a community whatever community that they happen to be policing typically these days they are over policing communities of color uh for whatever reason that you want to say right i mean there there are there are people who will argue that there are more crimes happening in those communities and so therefore um they should be policing those communities more so regardless they will be taking this new law and causing more friction in the communities they are policing more heavily, and that's a bad thing. Yeah, the you know the racism is kind of an icing on the cake uh, yeah. for this argument because it's it's wrong regardless, right? You're 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 looking at people who are doing voluntary interactions, and you're looking at policing voluntary interaction, which is always bad. And in this case, especially uh, the the racism is just the icing on the cake. It is. If we have a systemically racist system and we have a justice system that punishes black offenders more than white offenders, if everybody commits three felonies a day and yet we've filled up our prisons with black people, then look at the felonies that they're choosing to enforce. Even those who are guilty of those felonies, they're choosing to enforce the ones against those who are predominantly black as opposed to those who are white. Now, even now, you could dismiss all that. And like I said, this is still problematic, but I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand because it is people don't like racism. 
And I think the reason it's important to talk about this being racist in practice is because it does not matter the nice things you say. People joke about all the time how they like uh, uh, the Republicans are like, this is authority. And then the the Democrats are like, this is authority, but BLM and, you know, all, and Black Lives Matter, you know. <laughs> and it's like, this is exactly it. What we got is we're getting, we got worse messaging from Trump, and, but we're getting more racist policies from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And I guess that shouldn't surprise us because like they spent their whole lives being the architect of racist policies. And I, I and I don't know what's in their hearts. God judge them. Um, I guess, I mean, Biden said things like he doesn't want his kids growing up in a racial jungle. So he hasn't exactly painted himself in, in a way that's going to make me give him any benefit of the doubt. But ultimately, um, one of my favorite uh, speakers from Fee is uh, TK Coleman. And he says, I don't judge racism by what people's intent are because I have no idea. I can't see into people's hearts. I judge by their actions. What was the effect of this policy? Was it racist? Then yeah, it's racist. I'm not going to, I'm only going to make a judgment based on evidence and not on assumption. And this is one of those things that is racist and evidentiary and heck, the FDA just goes ahead and says it themselves. Who is this predominantly going to affect? Um, Apparently it's transphobic as well. Because they even mention how they're looking at targeting the LGBTQ plus community from that. I think it's funny, um, even in the FDA, you can tell how out of date these people are that write it. Because the modern lingo for LGBTQ is GSM, gender and sexual minorities. But the FDA doesn't know that because they're not in tune. They're not in touch. They're a bunch of geezers. Uh, You click on, so they cite two studies. I clicked on each of them because I felt like I should at least give them the benefit of the doubt to see what project, because they're like, well, we projected a lot. And then they use this example from Canada. And one of the studies like talks about, it refers to the black community as the blacks all the time. And I'm just like, oh, guys, like probably cite one that's like less, uh, <clears throat> less, less, less bigoted and not happening. Uh, you, you guys are, you, it, it, the FDA is, like I said, they're just, they, they are not, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They admit they're targeting these communities. They, they say they're targeting them for their benefit. How many times has this happened throughout history? It's wrong. Then it's wrong. Now prohibition hurt and killed a great deal of people who wanted to voluntarily drink. I have never touched a drop of alcohol. I've never smoked weed. I've never touched weed. I've never done a cannabinoid. I've never done an opioid. I've never done any of this stuff. But ultimately, even if I wanted to become the epitome and the icon of selfishness and only care about myself and nobody else, why should my tax dollars pay one cent for somebody else who's making a voluntary decision to put something into their bodies? I don't recall wanting to pay for somebody else's room and board because of a decision they make that I disagree with. I understand. You look at some of these things. Look, it's not a mystery that smoking is a car- carcinogenic. So many things are. But here's the thing. What, look, at, look at things that are unhealthy for you like cigarettes. Okay. And look at the people. Oh, the menthol cigarette. Well, that's a black person problem. Let's criminalize that. Oh, fully, uh, let's see. Oh, those white people problems like getting obese from, from overly saturated sugar sodas. I mean, they've done things like institute taxes on them before, but look what on the federal level. Eh, it's just caffeine. It's just full sugar soda. We don't care. And that's the problem with this whole thing is if it's really done for the sake of making people healthy, are you comfortable with that? Of giving the federal government the decision of what is healthy for you, of what is not. These are the same people that have used their power to euthanize 
classes of people <laughs> to sterilize classes of people. They instigate wars. They, we know, I mean, we've already seen even in this, what they're proposing now. And we don't have, unfortunately, the words in front of us because they just say they're going to do it. But based on this proposal, this isn't going to be targeted towards manufacturers, just manufacturers. This is going to be enforced on the streets. This isn't going to be one of those things that's fought with lawyers where they say, oh, it looks like you're trying to manufacture um, a, a certain spice or a certain cigarette here. There's no different than when the Cubans, right? When you're being Cuban cigars. Who paid the price for that when they caught you with a Cuban cigar? Did they go and seek out your supplier and try to stop that? Or did they just bust the people who were smoking them? And that's exactly what this is going to be, too. Ultimately, it's they don't want the people at the top. They don't want to actually fix the problem. They want to punish the people who are participating in a certain behavior. We can find it reprehensible all day. And I do have some friends who are who favor this policy and I, and, and I understand where they're coming from because it's a flavor that is appeals to children. Right. And they think that this is targeting kids and kids shouldn't smoke and we shouldn't give our kids drugs. All right. I mean, say I agree with that. Right. We shouldn't give our kids drugs, alcohol, right. Like until they're ready to make those decisions. But at the end of the day, is this something you want to enforce for you and your family? Or is this something you want a politician to enforce on your behalf? Like I said, we have a litany of history to see how they protect the children. And we have how you would protect the children. And which one would you rather trust? Um, I guess that about does it for my, my thoughts on the roundtable. But I just, I, I think for me, I, I cannot see myself, even as a non-smoker, ever dreaming of passing this law and not looking like it's very backwards, uh, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris uh, tweeted that they didn't have time yet to decriminalize marijuana, but they did have time to, they said they're too busy, right? But uh -huh. they did have time to do this. It takes more time to draft a new law than to decriminalize an old law. So their time priorities are wrong. I mean, this is literally, they promise we're going in this libertarian direction because it sounds really awesome. And then we're going to go in this status direction that isn't awesome, but it's for the black. It's for those dumb black people who don't know any better versus my white kid who's smoking crack in my basement, who I'm going to withhold and prevent from my law. You know, I don't want my law affecting my white kid. I only want it affecting your black kids. That is Joe Biden. That is a huge problem. That's why I could not bring myself to even fathom voting for him. And I'm so glad I didn't. I sleep a lot better. <laughs> I'll say um, Biden spent his entire career um, uh, crafting legislation that criminalized substances and Harris has spent her entire career um, prosecuting those laws. And so it, it, it's no surprise to me to see that these two people who were elected, um, these old school, they're, they're old school drug warriors uh, that they, they see they're like, it's like hammers and nails, right? That's, that's the metaphor we always see. A hammer sees sees a problem and and they just hammer it like a nail, um, and I'm probably butchering that. I'm a little tipsy, but <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's what they end up doing. And so you know, it, it, they go in, and I, I I honestly believe they have the best intentions. That they're targeting minority groups. They are explicitly targeting minority groups with coercion, though. Because all they know is coercion. All they know is violence. They only know to threaten people to do better in whatever <laughs> way that is. I don't even necessarily think this is better, but 
all that's that's the only way they know how to do this so it's no surprise to me this is the reason they wouldn't get my vote it's the reason republicans wouldn't get my vote because they're the same thing but longtime drug warriors you know implement coercion to stop this yeah it's 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 hard i i think it's tough to have a debate about this because it's not something that has kind of a libertarian element for uh to support i guess you could argue the kids angle like should businesses let's let's say let's throw this out there let me throw this out there to you too just so we have something to argue about because right now we have nothing uh is there (laughs) would you say a business has the right to target children with their advertising for a drug or alcoholic product. Lou, you want to take this? Yeah, sure. Okay. Coming. I consider myself pretty far left. Um, What that does is now you are enticing someone who is not old enough to consent. You are, um, putting someone in danger, right? So right there is a violation of the NAP because we know that young children do not fully comprehend the consequences of their actions, particularly when it comes to something like smoking, drinking, drugs, things like that, because they don't see an immediate consequence, right? So their brains aren't that developed, which is why we say like, at a certain age, you know, children cannot consent to sex or, you know, consent to working because people take advantage of them. That's why we have child labor laws, right? And it's the same thing. Like, no, it's, I don't think it's infringing on the business's rights to say, no, you, you can't advertise this for children. It's telling you like, no, you can't exploit people who don't know better to do something that's potentially dangerous to their health. I am an adult. I am fully aware of what smoking can do to your health. I've, you know, I've seen it firsthand. My grandfather passed away from cancer and he had lung cancer and he had cancer in several places, but he smoked a pipe and things like that for years. Like, so obviously you can't deny that was a contributing factor. I am aware I am responsible for my own actions. A child cannot make those decisions. And so when a business who is full of adults making their decisions on marketing techniques and target audiences says, hey, let's target children. Yes, that's a problem. Do I feel like menthol cigarettes have ever been actively targeted as to, at children? No. I mean, could you say like, okay, the flavor is more pleasing. Sure. Yeah. Obviously that's why I smoke them. I think regular cigarettes taste like smoking cardboard. It's disgusting. Um, but as a kid, I I think it's an acquired taste, right? I, when I was like six years old, I woke up one morning and I guess my parents had had like a glass of wine the night before and went to bed and left one of the cups out with a little bit of wine in it. And I thought it was grape juice. So I took a big old swig and I'm like, somewhere between six and eight and I died. Like it was the most horrible thing ever. I love wine now. Right. 
So there's nothing about a menthol cigarette in my mind as someone who started smoking at 13, right? I was 13 years old the first time I picked up a cigarette. And I, I'll never forget, there was a girl I thought was really cool when we were like sixth grade and I had just moved to town and she invited me over. We're on the phone, you know, and she's like, hey, come over to my house. I'm like, okay. And I hear her ask her mom for a lighter. I mean, a candle or something. I don't. And then I hear her mom respond, go light it on the stove. I was a little confused. I didn't think anything of it. So I go to her house. This girl at 13 years old in sixth grade lights up a cigarette in front of her mom in the house. Like, <laughs> it was the wildest thing I've ever seen. But I, being a dumb kid, was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And she asked if I smoked. And I was like, well, duh, doesn't everybody? And she handed me a Newport, and I thought I was going to die. Right? It was awful. So I don't understand what it is that people consider appealing to children about the flavor itself. It is 10 times harsher than a standard cigarette. I, there's no way a kid's going to hit one of those and be like, oh, this is fantastic. They're going to be like, oh, my God, I'm dying, right? It just, that, I just, it's such an excuse to me. So, you know, then at 13, I started picking my dad's, like, half-smoked cigarette camels that were non-menthol. I didn't, I didn't touch my balls again until much later. <laughs> so, no, they're not targeted to children. No, retail should not be, like, targeting children is a problem. What do you think, Ryan? Well, I, I don't, I don't think, that, I, I, just like Lou said, I don't, I don't know of any evidence that this is targeted uh, children in general. Uh, I, I spent my teenage years smoking quite a bit of cannabis. Uh, I started a little earlier than most people. And, uh, due to having an older brother who used, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I just got into it. He used a lot of other drugs that I didn't, uh, get into, but, um, but cannabis was there. And, uh, one time, one time I decided to light his menthol, uh, for him. He thought that'd be a good idea for whatever reason. And, uh, I lit it and inhaled and it was one of the nastiest things I've ever had in my life. It was disgusting. Uh, and I've never smoked another cigarette since there was one other example of me smoking uh, tobacco from a cigarette and it was on accident. It was like, it was like these stories you hear about people who do cannabis, who um, we all have friends who have done angel dust. Right. Um, but we That's don't have any friends who have done angel dust on purpose. No one, no one's done it on purpose. Um, and <laughs> Sprinkled up someone's joint, wasn't it? Like, exactly. That was it's thing. always it's always it's always a trick. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a terrible trick, and nobody should ever do that to anyone else. But I was hanging out with these people, and they were passed around this joint, and I was coughing like a like a maniac. And I was like, "What is wrong with this joint?" And they were like, "Oh, it's a spliff." And for those of you who don't know, a spliff is fifty fifty cannabis and tobacco. And I had no idea, but I was miserable from it. I mean, it was terrible. And that's the only other cigarette I've ever smoked after a menthol because I don't want to touch it. Like it was nasty. So I don't think that it's, I, I think any kind of excuse that says it's, it's targeting minors is, is pretty ridiculous. And even if it were, I think kids make mistakes 
and they experience things and they need to they need to experience things i needed to experience the taste of <laughs> i needed to experience the taste of that really shitty menthol uh to never go back to it again my dad when i was younger uh he gave me a, a little taste of jaeger and a bud light when i was like i was probably like nine maybe nine at a party and it was it was nasty i didn't drink again till i was 21 like no joke, I didn't drink another drop of alcohol until I was 21. My kid, um, when she was young and she was teething, I, you know, we wrote uh, whiskey on her gums, so that's no no big deal. But I gave her a taste of, of beer while we were grilling one day. She's she's five now, by the way. Uh, it was probably when she was four or so. And now I'm like, you want a beer? And she's like, nope, not at all, not one bit, Dad. That's silly. I want juice. Give me juice. So you're saying um, the whiskey on the gums was not a gateway drug into yeah. <laughs> hard hard drinking at five. Okay. No. And I think there's there's some parenting techniques that are involved here, right? I mean, you go in and, and you can let your child um, experience life and um, teach them to make good decisions for themselves. And I know not everybody gets to do that, but you, you can't like go, e- even if they're targeting in their marketing uh, minors it, it doesn't matter like parenting is really where it's at like that's really where the responsibility lies and so um i mean that's just kind of that's kind of where i get that's kind of where i get to yeah i, I i'm glad you made that distinction because that's kind of how i feel about this as well do i want politicians deciding whether an ad is targeting a child or not and if it should or not and if it's okay to target a child or not or would i'd rather myself my family society even culture you know determine whether it's okay to you know do these certain things and you know and i think it it affords us the room to experiment and study and see how people's lives turn out you know without the threat of violence hanging over us you know um a lot of people especially in libertarians we love to cite portugal all the time right they legalize their drugs and looks what happened now it should be known that the drug rate usage increased before it decreased because it's, it's still a mystery. There's still a wonder there. There's still a, a, a not knowledge there. And I think we do ourselves a disservice, um, not us libertarians, but just society by pretending that um, being galvanized doesn't exist, right? Like we say, Oh, we ban it. Well then all the rebels do it kind of because it's banned, right? Like, because like, that's the cool thing. And we want to pretend that's not a thing. We want to think everybody just hears an educational thing for the first time and says, ah, yes, this is true wisdom. I need, I need never explore this for myself because, you know, all these superiors who have been lording over me through my, for my whole life, tell, tell me it's bad. And I absolutely love the heck out of them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, these are the same people that told you that Santa Claus was real, telling you that drugs are bad. So ultimately you're going to get a little bit of a complex and say like, well, if I find out that Santa's not real, sorry, kids, you, you shouldn't be listening anyway. We use swear words and talk about giving whiskey to babies. So swear go words. to sleep, go to sleep. You little, little, little tykes. Anyway, <laughs> the swears. I, 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 I'm I the squarest like, square. I feel like everyone should know that I asked you if you were a Mormon before we came off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it's so funny because I said something um, when we were in a chat the other day and I was like, heckin' something or other. <laughs> Which is, it's this weird no-slip that I never have anymore because I left I left years ago. But I did, I said heckin'. And I thought, oh, Hody's gonna get a kick out of that. 
<laughs> and I did. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, I may not be Mormon, but I am a loser. Darn it! Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so that's why I am drug free. Fair. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's uh, it's. Uh, it's one of those things that like, yeah, some people can like hear the wisdom and some people need to experience it. But I think the thing is, is it's okay. Um, Colorado, another great example. When marijuana got legalized, there was a small crime burst when people were first experimenting, like testing it out, testing crime? the waters. Right. What's that? What do you mean by crime? Um, so it was something released by the Denver police department. And when you ask, I usually like to have specifics on hand. Unfortunately, I'm talking about this I'm conversation. Sorry. I, uh, I'm sorry. So for, forgive me if I'm not, if I'm not exactly, inc- if I'm not exactly doing it, but you the can Denver, generalize here. We it was the Denver police commissioner. Yeah. They released a statement and they did say like, Hey, here's where our carjackings are at. Here's where it was. Uh, it was burglaries and theft specifically is what they were looking at. Yeah. And it went up and then it went down and then it went down to lower than what it was before. So the thing is, is it's not like there's not going to be any hiccups. I understand when you legalize all flavors of all cigars, might somebody who has never tried a cigar before decide to try a, I don't know, cigar flavors, grape flavored cigar. Somebody would be like, yeah, grape them sounds Swisher, good. No, them Swisher Sweets. That's Swisher Sweets. Okay. Yeah, that's good blunt rolling uh, cigars. Oh, I should have mentioned this does include what you roll stuff with. So if you do have any wraps that are flavored, it's not just the substance itself. This is also flavored wraps. So, so if you're about- thinly veiled uh, targeting cannabis users, just just so we're all very clear here, like they 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 ran on a, a platform of of legalizing cannabis or descheduling it or whatever they said, but making it easier on you. And what they're actually doing is they're targeting cannabis users because menthol users are cannabis users just just so we're all very clear it's not it's not black people it's not lgbtq or gsm or whatever we want to say it's it's pot smokers they smoke menthols uh and blunt smokers have flavored cigars they cut them open they take all the tobacco out they put pot in there and they smoke them because that's delicious (laughs) so they're tart they are actually just fighting the war on drugs that they've been fighting for decades and decades and decades because these are old school drug warriors you know i didn't realize that marijuana and black and milds actually smell differently from each other until i was like 20 (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh you know i'm going to share this because jackie knows more than what i had say she said tobacco boosts the effects of cannabis um I believe that. Yeah, it probably has something to do with like how it enters the bloodstream or something. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, um, it's just No, go ahead. So, okay, as someone who partakes in the evening, you know, I, I'm not a daily all day wake and bake. No. I it is medicinal. It is at night. It is only specific indica strains because I have horrible, horrible insomnia. I also have lupus and fibromyalgia. So I take it for pain, inflammation, nausea, um, appetite, which you wouldn't know. (laughs) 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 Obviously it works, right? Um, (laughs) And all kinds of things and sleep and all of that. And I'll have like a tiny little bit and then go have a cigarette and then I sleep like a rock. Every time it like, it just puts you over that edge. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, it's, and this is where it kind of comes 
to be, it's very much judgmental in, in the end. And that is my, I am a, I make no bones about it. I do keep my faith separate from my politics, but I am a Christian person and Christ warned over and over that judgment is the worst thing you can do. That's what keeps you out of heaven is being judgmental. How do you get judged? Based on how you judge other people. Stop with the judgment. I don't know how many times he has to say it, but it happened over and over. And ultimately these things are, yeah. Ultimately these things are, they are against my faith. And so when I say I am against combining my faith with my politics, this is something where somebody's faith and their judgment is now being enacted against other people. And here is the here is the real issue. I'll, I'll, I'll hop off of the religious thing for a second, but here is my problem when somebody is judgmental, is that they are saying, this is how I will treat somebody else, but not myself. Because ultimately, and I know I made this point already, but when it's Joe Biden's kids smoking crack, he gets... What does he get? Joe Biden did everything right by his kid, by the way, when his kid had a drug problem. Keep him in the basement, throw opportunities at them, give them a means, give them rehab, give them help, tell them you love them, reinforce them. What did he do when it was somebody else's black kid who smoked weed? Throw him in prison, put him in. uh, He said the Republicans were the only reason he couldn't get the death sentence for these people. He wanted them gone for life or dead. He managed to compromise down to like 25 years or whatever it is for some of these people, ripping them away, taking away their opportunities, making felony registry lists, you know, making all these things that took away. And, and ultimately his, I guess I want to say Hunter Biden is a great example of improvement. That's I I should have used somebody else. Uh, some people improve, you know, their lives when they when they have this love and this insulatory system, and it gives them a chance to say, you know what, I worked through it and I got out. But ultimately, this isn't his kid. This is somebody else's kid, and and this is the problem that we have because these laws do not make any kind of judgment. It's one of the reasons I I lean heavily towards anarchy. Because it's just one of those things that I say, is there anything I'm comfortable making a law on that it's 100% all the time, throw away the key, you go to jail, sub, you know, police officers come to your door and knock you down and enforce it. That list is very few things. And one of those things that should absolutely not be, I watched um, a video, it kind of changed my life a little bit. I used to be a very conservative uh, person, right-leaning person. Um, I kind of was never like big on the drug war, but I was always very snide. I guess if you brought up your drug use, I would have said something about like, oh yeah, it's your right to kill yourself, idiot, uh, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> and then, you know, and then people are like, man, I'm just telling you now it helps me relax. Like it makes me like a better person and treat people better. And if, you know, and, and th- I'm just telling you how it is with me. But I remember I watched this video and I don't know why, because human lives should matter more than dogs. But this dog was having a seizure and this guy took an illegal substance and rubbed it on the inside of his dog's gums and the dog stopped having a seizure. And right then and there, I said, nope, government out of it. Dogs need to be allowed to not have (laughs) scary seizures and we need to be allowed to treat them however. And you know what? I guess the humans as well. Why not? You know, but that was what made the decision for me. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to make... Like people get their kids to fake stuff all the time, right? And so I would, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember that exact video, and I remember there had been videos of children, 
And these like uber right-leaning like prohibitionists would always have these nasty comments like, oh, that kid is faking it. And I'm like, that kid is a kid and has a condition out that pharmaceuticals obviously are not doing the job. Our medical system is not doing the job. That's a show for a whole other day, right? But, you know, they give them these CBD or THC drops and then, like, their seizures stop, right? And then, oh, it's fake, fake, fake. But the dog, right? I think that – I don't think you're the the only one that had that moment, right? I think a lot of people thought, oh, shit. Like, a a dog's not going to fake that. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but that could be what clicked for me. Yeah. Cause like subconsciously, like you, you know, you're a nice guy. You're not going to be like, Oh, that kid's a liar. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Well, 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 like, like it's a good point. Cause when you see a look of fear in a kid's eyes, you can say like, well, maybe they're scared of their parents or maybe, you know, like, you know, at least I can reassure them when you see the look of fear in like a dog's or an animal's eyes, like it's, it's different. It's like, there's, they're not, there's no, there's no coercion there, I guess. Sorry. Continue Lou. I interrupted. No, I, I kind of actually interrupted you, I think. No, I was just agreeing with you. And I, I, I think that may be one of the things that really pivoted the, the discussion around marijuana legalization is the benefits of it. And um, speaking of the benefits, this is so funny. So obviously, you know, here in Indiana, uh, Donald Rainwater ran against Holcomb for governor. And another lefty who got like, I don't know, two votes or something. <laughs> I don't know who he was. Um, and I'm a lefty. Like, it's crazy. I didn't know who this guy was. Anyway, so Rainwater, of course, part of his platform was, you know, we're right. We're between Michigan and Ohio. Like, why are we not legalizing? We're, you know, we could have amazing industry here. We have great um, agricultural land and like all kinds of amazing stuff out here. So we could really make cannabis a boon for our economy. And then in the same debate, uh, Holcomb was asked about legalizing and he was like, well, you know, there hasn't been enough research done and we're going to wait for the federal blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I was kind of shaking my head and I'm going, the amount of research out there is innumerable, right? I started my college career in 2003 at least started college right and I say college career because like there's been like 10 years of college because I can't make up my mind what I want to do yeah Um, (laughs) it's not that I have like a bunch of degrees I just don't know what I'm doing I did the same thing hop back and forth like eight different things you're (laughs) tired so you know and there was there was all this discussion around that like, and research back then, like I did papers on it back then and there was a ton of research and that was almost 20 years ago. And so I was talking to some of the other libertarians up here. I was like, all right, so let's say hypothetically, like the Biden Harris administration fully legalizes or decriminalizes on a federal level. I could see Holcomb backpedaling, right? Because he, He executes with his personal morals more so than, you know, from a political standard, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I I can see this happening, right? Well, you know, I know they did it federally, but it was under a lot of, you know, 
cultural pressure, a social pressure, and blah, blah, blah. I'm still waiting on the research. And so we have decided that if he says that, and I have all of the links, I'm going to print every piece of research I can find on the benefits of cannabis, <laughs> print them on paper, and just go dump them on his lawn. It's going to be beautiful. I'm waiting. Oh, it sounds like an awesome protest. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. Um, um, yeah, it's going to be expensive to print that much, but <laughs> seems worth it. You know, it, it, you bring up a good point uh, because almost in every uh, year they're like, well, every place that hasn't legalized it yet has a budget ballot on the measure that's like, well, we want to examine the or create a study or create a commission that explores the just like man that that work is done you guys um right i'll give you any last words on this and then we'll move on to pieces of our mind no I, th- I i think i'm good we've we have talked this menthol thing to death i think we even moved on already so uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean if we want to talk about cannabis I'll, I'll i'll just say that you know georgia is in the same boat where we're, we're going to be the last state in the south to to um legalized cannabis we have like low thc cbd oil and that's it and uh the people that are in in our capital right now they just they just won't hear it it's uh it's 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 weird they just will not hear it at all and it it's it's weird because the conversation has shifted to oil um completely and so you know we talk about flour and 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 it's like that's not even what people expect. So we're, we're like, Oh, well it's legalized for medical. And it's like, well, it's not because flour is not legalized. What are you talking about? Like it, it, it's pretty silly. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's what the subject is, so I won't get into that, but the war on drugs is pretty silly in the, in the, um, the ban on menthol and flavored cigars is just an extension on the war on drugs. And it's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, Jen Psaki, White House press secretary, said that some people got fired for admitting that they had <laughs> smoked marijuana, right? Or, or, and she said, or, oh, it's only or, like or eight people. To work from home. Right, yeah. These aren't even people who are there. These are <laughs> like work from home like interns. Uh, can you think of somebody who works at the White House who has admitted smoking marijuana that didn't get fired? I could think of at least one, and, uh, <laughs> and that could be the second most powerful person in our country. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. It's okay. <laughs> The, right. The, um. So. So. To her credit, she lied about it because mm. she talked about using in a time which didn't make any sense. Uh, she was saying that she used to smoke while she was listening to uh, Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac back before Biggie Smalls and Tupac were anybody worth listening to i mean they were always worth somebody some something worth listening to but uh she lied she just she blatantly lied lied about doing marijuana when yeah. when, when it makes her look cool and i hate to say this but i almost like she was code switching Like, are you, are you familiar with code switching? Give us a breakdown. Yep. Okay. So code switching, basically, if I'm in a room of a bunch of white people, executives and business suits, like I talk a certain way Mm -hmm. when I'm in a room with the people I grew up with who were a majority, like 
people of color, LGBTQ community, like I speak a different way. And if you know, we're a kid in the nineties, the word on the street was ebonics, right? Or like now it's AAPE and you know, whatever you want to call it. So code switching is not always about tone or dialect or inflection, but it can also be about topic and how you present yourself. And I totally believe that she was code switching on that particular radio show. Um, You put her in different situations and her conversation is different. Her demeanor is different. How she presents herself is different. Now, as a woman of color, I understand that in that environment on that radio show, she was very comfortable. Like that's coming home to her, right? So just like me going home to Louisiana or Arizona or, you know, Phoenix, anywhere I have family, like I'm more comfortable, laid back. I'm a little more me. I'm a lot more open. Right. And so I think that that played a part in it, but there was also like, she's a smart woman when it comes to marketing herself and she understood who her audience was there and she was code switching. I'm it, you know. it's, it's yeah so, i appreciate can, that breakdown can I, can I jump in here because yeah, yeah. cool story i'm glad she code switched or whatever but she still objectively lied there's no way what she said oh. was true at all and and also she bragged about doing something that she also put away hundreds of people into ca- she put hundreds of people into cages over the thing that she was laughing about that she lied about doing um i mean i mean maybe she did it i don't know but if she did it she's it's even worse because you know she's made it to the second most powerful uh position in america where the people who she's put away didn't even get that chance yeah we lost her yeah we might have lost her we will be back in a second uh you know kamala is uh and i think i've been pronouncing it wrong i'm aware it's kamala harris i'm just not good at pronouncing it correctly um kamala harris is not a good person i think (laughs) there's a lot of people who and 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 i mean that very i i phrase that intentionally because here's the thing i understand when you're a prosecutor your job is to prosecute i get that let's say i I give you the i'll give you the nuremberg defense say like fine i was just doing my job right like i'm sorry i did this terrible thing i was just doing my job it's what i was assigned to do Here's the problem with Kamala Harris. She broke a lot of laws and butchered a lot of evidence to make those people in prison. This wasn't just a, oh, I'm sorry, the law says you have to go to prison. This was a, I'm going to fabricate a story. I'm going to ignore witness testimonies. You're going to prison no matter what. I mean, this is incarcerating innocent people. There was somebody on death row and she tried to suppress right uh evidence that would have uh exonerated this person i mean it's it's i will go into kamala on a different day i am glad on one hand that we have a i I am glad that we we're breaking color barriers look we're a sexist nation we're a racist nation i i'm so glad we're getting rid of all those things um if you though there's a i'm a hardcore feminist And I have spent so many years being an activist for causes that affect low income, people of color, LGBTQ, any, you know, marginalized community, right? And this upsets me so deeply 
because what we fight for so hard, and I know we want to really get into that another Mm -hmm. time, but really quickly, like what we have fought so hard for in getting, you know, all these marginalized groups to a level where we can also take a stand on the platform, right? Not that, like, it's so frustrating because there's a sense of obligation, right? To be supportive. She's a woman of color. We need to be cheering for this, right? But on, like, that's so surface. Ryan seems to disagree. Well, my my, my disagreement (laughs) is that you shouldn't, you should not support her because of these things that are immutable characteristics. That's the whole point of feminism is to not take into account the immutable characteristics. And that's my point is that it's like, it's frustrating for me because I'm like, there's part of me that's like, yes, we have a black woman as the vice president. Like, and that's amazing, but she's a horrible human. Like we have so many better people to represent, you know, women, right? Uh, women of color, all like Joe Jorgensen, it, for example. Um, it, it's the example. It's like finding out Jackie Robinson's like a Robinson was like a serial killer. You just be like, <laughs> I'm really glad we broke the color barrier, but I don't. I might not still think of Jackie Robinson the same like, way. Well, well, it, 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 but it's more simple than that. Yes, it's great that we have a woman of color as the second most powerful person in the nation. But what they do with that power is perpetuating the institutional racism that we're yes. all complaining about. So it's yeah. like, well, maybe we just shouldn't do that. Maybe that, that shouldn't be the basis that we celebrate. Mm-hmm. But if you say that out loud, you're a bad leftist. Well, I'm a bad leftist, so... Hey, I want to throw this out there too. Stop and be a good lefty and just. (laughs) If I know, and and I include myself in this category, people that were apprehensive about like Black Lives Matter, man, follow them on Twitter. And there is no organization that's more against Biden and Kamala Harris than Black Lives Matter. I mean, I whatever you thought before. Put it out of your mind. I, I I thought the same thing. I saw the Marxist stuff. I saw like some creepy, like oh, maybe no, you I, don't care about I, people's personal property stuff. No, nah, man. I'm gonna be a day one. Like I've I've been out on the streets and I've gone to the protests and I've done and I've donated. Like we actually in our tattoo shop we hosted a BLM day where we had like a handful of flash designs that were you know quick, small, minimum stuff we could bang out really quick, and then like. A percentage plus, you know, any tips went to our local <laughs> team bed leftists. Jackie's making us left a laugh. Uh, team bad leftist, team bad rightist. Yeah, this is good stuff. Guys, uh, that's the first segment of this show. So please hang tight. And we're going to do the second part of a show and give you a piece of our mind in just a moment. All right, everybody, it's time to give you a piece of our mind. So I will start to show you all how it's done. And I got to tell you, this has been getting to me. I'm going to cut loose as much as I can cut loose. Uh, with only say, one guys, Hody is about to cut loose. One can of caffeine. 
Whatever that I'm means. I'm like, I'm sitting here going, oh God, I really have to go to the bathroom, but this is about to get really good. Lou, Lou <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we are about to hear the word heckin' again uh, from someone else. OMG. <laughs> Maybe I'll do like the white person from Minnesota, like, let me tell you what really sticks in my craw. <laughs> I was, I'm all about, what I'm grinds like, my gears. My gears. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> This, is our this friggin' heckin' cu- country that thinks they can tell us what to do. No. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I have the complexion that says I have practice at this. Um, so I do want to say this. There is, uh, I am so huge on culture. When you take a f- philosophy class, they usually teach you there's two ways that you can enforce your, what's a Right. There are two ways to define it. One is something you're willing to do violence to preserve. And two, something society has accepted and will not accept any intrusion on. Those are the two ways that you can define it. Now, we as libertarians, a lot of times we get caught in the first category. If you do this, we will do violence to you. In my personal opinion, that has failed because, frankly, the government is intruding on you in so many ways that if you believe in doing violence, you would have done it already. So I believe in it, that it is time to fix and time to try to win through a libertarian culture. And what that means is accepting people's radical individualism and not just accepting, but celebrating it, T- not, not just not just dealing with it, but cherishing it, wanting these people to be different, wanting different perspectives, wanting people to be different than us, and wanting to say, you have a home here within the liberty movement. I am so glad you are here. You are not like me at all. That's cool. I really like that about you. We look at, I'm also a capitalist. We look at division of labor. Look, there's a lot of things I can do, but I can't educate myself about everything. Even I, I've dipped it. I think I've dipped the toe into every economic study there is. I am not going to outwit any economic economic giant on any one of those schools of economy. I liked to fraternize. I like to kind of, hey, let me hear what you think. Let me study this. Let me read this. All right. And there's going to be somebody who's dedicated 40 years of their lives to one like syndicalism or something. And I'm just like, ah, I kind of know what that is. And I'm proud of myself for knowing the definition. That's about it. You know, like, and, and that is what we, and that is a good thing. And so we should take these expertise and encourage them. And we do have cultures that we feel we can't stand up to sometimes. We have had to do it here on the We're Libertarians Network before. Um, We've done it on our page. Um, When we realized that there were an inordinate amount of people that were kind of in our comment section saying casually racist things that it was scaring away our viewership. And I don't think we ever, I don't think we ever turned a blind eye to it. I just don't think we policed our comment section. We just said, you know, people comment, whatever. We finally decided to dive in and do some exploration and, 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 you know, I think it comes from people saying, Hey, this kind of stuff makes me uncomfortable. We didn't know. We probably just lost them following our page and viewing us and interacting with us, you know? And finally somebody was like, Hey, I love your show. I can't stand these people. So we make a thing we think it's casual, right? We think it's easy. We just say, Hey, racist, racism's dumb. Racism's stupid. 
irrational, repugnant. I know that's part of like the the LP platform, but it's just it's dumb. Like if you're a racist, you're a loser, and we don't do racism here. Man, I gotta tell you, flooded with hate, flooded with anger, like so much backlash, and everything from the you know, from the white, like, oh, you're so brave taking a stand against racism. Good for you. Well, apparently we had to because look at the litany of people we made angry when we called it out, you know, that they get mad about it. And so it's just one of those things that we say. So what we had to do is we had to manufacture a culture. And a lot of times people think culture must be it's organic. And, and of course, that's ideal, that it just happens, that everything just happens correctly. Guess what? We're in a culture that has given us Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Mike Pence. We're not, you know, like the culture isn't cutting it. Okay. Right. So we can't just rely on organic success anymore. What we have to do now is rely on doing something, on making a change. And, and so what you have to do then is decide what that change is going to be. I was on somebody's libertarian social media the other day. Uh, Chase Oliver is a good friend of mine, and he's agreed to be an occasional contributor on the show. And I, uh, just, just so you know, I'm the chair of the Libertarian Party of Georgia, and Chase is a very active member down here in Georgia, ran a wonderful campaign for the 5th uh, District U.S. House uh, when John Lewis passed away. There was a special election. Um, so there's a little background, uh, and I'm I'm personally friends with Chase Oliver. So. Me too. I made the anyway, video. Anyway, sorry. Really? Off. So you, I mean, you all know him better than I do. I just like the guy. That's all I have. I mean, I just, we, we spend uh, uh, a couple hours a month cleaning up my uh, my park. That's you know less than a, a mile away uh, for libertarian causes. And uh, Chase Chase is a personal friend of mine. Awesome. Well, I like Chase, and Chase just made the comment, and I'm I'm going to approximate this comment because I don't have it in front of me, but just said, you know, I'm getting the vaccine. And you know what? After I get vaccinated, I'm going to go out and I'm not going to be guilt. I'm going to be guilt free because I know I'm not going to make anybody else sick. And that was the extent of the comment. Got moderate, whatever, you know, the usual likes, dislikes. It was shared by a certain podcaster. And then. Are we not naming the person? Within an hour. Happening? No, we can do it. Now, here's it's the thing. I've, I've, I've already no, clashed with Dave, Dave, Dave Smith. Before. Dave Smith, I'm not anti-Dave Smith. I know this is going to look like it because it's like the second anti-Dave Smith thing I've done in forever. Uh, I, can I can I jump oh. in? I'm, I'm sorry. Is this a bad pla- uh Should we not jump in while you're like doing your thing? I don't even know. Um, if, if you would like to, I, I'll allow it. I'll give I, you. I, <laughs> Dave Smith just did. Uh, he he basically copied and pasted Chase's tweet and retweeted mm-hmm. it with a quote, and um, it, the the quote was just something different. Um, and and I was like, well, that yep, that's true. So, um, after all is said and done, uh, what I did was copied. Uh, I, I took a screenshot of his retweet with both comments and just said, hey. Libertarians are great because we can have different opinions about things um, and and still be on the same side. Dave Smith just said, I'm not getting a vaccine and I'm not feeling guilty. Sorry right. to steal your thunder, Odie. Right. It's okay. So, that yeah, that's what I was getting to is basically Chase said, I am getting the vaccine, so I won't feel guilty. Dave responded, I'm not getting the vaccine, so I won't and, and, and I won't feel guilty. Fine. Right. Like, I I think that part's fine. Right. So this issue, I just want to be very clear because Dave Smith actually listens to the show and took offense with me. I I did misquote him once. I apologized on the last episode that I did. My bad. (laughs) I'm not anti-Dave Smith. I actually enjoyed part of the problem. Please listen. 
whatever. Okay, all that. Uh, here's the problem. <laughs> when he said that, Chase got, uh, it's down to like 400 comments now, but it was up to like 600. And so they've had to take down like 200 that involved calling him homophobic slurs, calling him retarded, calling him, I mean, just throwing the book at him saying he, I think he's chase for Liberty on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> There you go. There's a free plug uh, chase. Um, they told him he should take the Liberty out of his name. They should say, they said he's not a real libertarian and all this. And it's just like, and Dave Smith, to his credit was even said like, I'm not saying that chase is a bad guy. I just posted. And then my fans, my fans did this. I've been there, Dave. I understand. <laughs> I understand when you're like, geez, I thought my fan base was like this, but it turns out some of them are like this. Now, I also agree with Dave that that's not the majority of the fan base. This is just the loud mouths. But unfortunately, the loud mouths drive a lot of the culture. I mean, let's be honest here. That's actually can be a good thing, right? Martin Luther King Jr. would not shut up. He was a loud mouth and therefore got a lot of what he wanted because he would not quit. You know, these people show a lot of tenacity in being bigots i mean obvious bigots obvious homophobes some of these convicts obvious ableists i mean they didn't even hide it uh every person that has he his in his profile is an idiot and uh, uh, uh you know statist and deserves to die and throw him out of helicopters and all that stuff and it was just the most crazy like you can't uh, he, and here's the thing like i understand i understand the situation he's in because i was in there and i didn't do it on purpose before like we here on We Are Libertarians. I never cultivated any of it. If somebody asked me, I would have said it sucked. My first, I wouldn't say all of We Are Libertarians. For me, I tend to be like a really economically driven person. I admit it. And so like I, I go along with that. And if it came up, I would condemn racism. But that doesn't come up a lot with that. So what I had to do is when that kind of thing would happen is we had to say I'd go out of my way and take some time and say, hey, guys, like here's the deal. I want to convert racism. I'm not even trying to drive you away if you are a racist, but you cannot talk to other people on the show like this. You can't do this in the comments. Like I, I want you to find Liberty. I want your racism to go away. And that doesn't do that when you're alone. And when I've cast you out and you're on Reddit, you know, but it will, you will be able to find a place here, but you are going to have to talk to people and, and treat them fairly. And that's just, that's just our rules here. That's just how we do it. And so I think for me, I think there just comes a time when you have to fix your culture to look at it and say, this is what I've cultivated. I understand. Look, there is a, people don't want to admit it. And they just want to say like, those are loud mouths. They're loosely affiliated. I don't know them. I know Jacob, who is also a contributor to the show. He's a me member of the Mises caucus. He does a good job. You can message him at any time. If any member of the Mises caucus is acting a fool, you can message, screenshot it, throw it to uh, Jacob Winograd, and he will take care of it and do whatever penalties need to be done. But there does a point where you say like, why is this way? Why, why did this happen? How did this happen? And how do I make that not happen? Because I want this to be a place where people embrace liberty and not where people like be racist and be awful. And so I just wanted to share that story. I, I know I'm a little long in the truth on that, but I, it's just um, it is something that meant a lot to me because I've seen it and I've been there before. And so I have the experience of understanding what it's like to be like, I don't know why. I'm not even saying that because it, it happened with my show. We have a we, I mean, we're libertarians. The main show, we have a black co-host. It's Chris Bangle and Harry Price, and what? Harry Price is not white. 
right? Like, <laughs> and so it's one of those where you wouldn't think we would have racists. Like, do we have to say it? You know, but we did. And like I said, it's a small majority. I can't, I, minority, sorry. I guarantee it's a small minority. But if they're turning people off, call them out. I also do want to say this. It's helpful advice. You don't have to take it, but I would take it because we like when we started doing this, our downloads, big time increase. I managed uh, the Spike Cohen uh, page. And when he said something anti-racist, yes, of course, there were 80 members that were libertarian right affiliated that got irritated. We're like, this is going to, this is, you guys are just anti-Trump and you guys are, you know, oh, this is, you guys are just liberals and join the Democratic Party already. And yeah, they were loud. And I'd even say half of our comments were negative, but then you'd open it up and you'd be like, oh, our donorship just increased by 25%. Our reach just increased by three times and our likes on our, and follows on our page increased like doubled. So, hey, Spike, do it again. You know, (laughs) like, like keep going. That's all I got. And no, and just to sort of follow up to that, I, I agree with you. And the reality is, you know, when we continue to give a platform to people who have racist, nasty, edgelord things to say, you're driving away the people who are hearing your message and taking it in and living that and taking that out into their life, right? So when you have a message of, peace and equality and love and anti-racism and anti-home, you know, like homophobic and, you know, all of those things, transphobic, like anti the isms and the hate and the whatever. And you get those loud mouth people. If you don't stand up for them and let them continue to run their mouths, a people, you know, who agree with you aren't going to take you as seriously because you are not actively standing up to the things you say you're against be like, they're not going to want to be around it. That's bad energy. So they're going to leave. So it doesn't take much, but you do have to put in the effort to say, Hey, I'm not going to tolerate this. This, you know, this is our space. I've, you know, we, I, whatever team has created here on this platform. However, like this is not a free opportunity for you to spew your hate. If you don't agree, it's one thing, but if you are nasty, I'm sorry, this isn't it. And when you can stand up and say that, you know, I, this, we platform, whatever has standards and has principles, then those who agree with you are going to go, they may not be very loud in their comments, but they're loud in their donations. They're loud in their active listenership. Yep. They're loud in their telling their friends, right? The guy who's running his mouth with nasty racist comments is not the guy sending donations. Even the things he likes, probably not the type to put his no, mouth. He, they spent them on like monster truck wheels and Oakley's. And <laughs> probably menthol soup. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh boy! <laughs> and the, and the Confederate flag that always manages to be like lurking in every single one of their profile right? pictures. Right, always someplace. like Confederate flag. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the Trump frame for me. That that's the one. The Trump. Frame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I just wanted to add that I'm I'm not a, a Dave Smith fan. I, I I actually a long time ago before he was even involved in the LP, um, he spent a lot of time shitting on the LP. And uh, every time he did that, I, I, it turned me off because I, I was like, look, man, I, I feel like we're sort of in the same battle and it's, it's sort of weird that you're, well, shitting on me. 
And, um, it, and that's how it felt, you know, I don't know if that's how he meant it or not, but that's how it felt. And so I just said, well, you know, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. And, uh, what I did instead of saying anything about it loudly on social media or, or anything like that, I just stopped downloading podcast. I was, it just wasn't that hard. I just unsubscribed and, and moved on with my life. Uh, I downloaded, you know, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll plug somebody. Uh, I plugged, I, I started downloading words and numbers instead, um, from fee, uh, a wonderful organization and, <clears throat> and my life is better for it. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to shit on another libertarian and their, um, I didn't have to yuck their yum. You know, I, I just, I just moved on. So, um, included in that, I just wanted to say that, um, I don't think that necessarily like, the attraction of negative feelings or negative opinions or racists or anything like that um, to your message necessarily means that you're doing the wrong thing. So like just because you have a bunch of followers who have really shitty opinions does not necessarily mean that you have a shitty opinion. And I don't think it's fair to to attribute it to that uh, trump trump is the biggest example of that recently people would say like oh david duke endorsed him and so therefore he's a white supremacist and it's like oh, well david duke sucks yeah I'm, I'm i'm in on that and actually uh, donald trump sucks too but um david duke's endorsement of donald trump does not actually indict donald trump necessarily uh not necessarily right i mean if he right. was out there being white supremacist then um recording and, and i'm sure lots yeah <laughs> what's that recording his vote right right and i'm sure lots of people would say that he was out there being white supremacist is fine i don't think he was very overtly white supremacist um he, he's problematic for sure um but david duke's endorsement didn't do anything about that uh david duke also endorsed joe biden just in case anybody didn't know he basically said that donald trump didn't do what he wanted uh done and so he endorsed uh joe biden leftists have a lot of um arguments about why that happened they have a lot of excuses um what they did was they blamed donald trump uh for gaining that endorsement but they made a lot of excuses for biden for gaining that endorsement when um you know i i i i choose to uh take people at their word and believe who they say they are um and so i I don't do that necessarily um but one of the things that i want to say about the followers of um of uh dave smith typically uh actually he's he's had a pretty strong message of unification and believing uh, uh unifying the multiple strains of libertarianism and not necessarily caring about the language that you speak while you're talking about liberty um and we talk about code switching and it's definitely alive and well in the liberty movement where there are people who speak the language of the left and the right. And um, we, we tend to shit on each other when we think that um, I'm sorry for using that language over and over and over again, but um, we tend to do that uh, for the people who speak the opposite um, and we shouldn't. Um, But what, one of the things I've noticed about the movement behind all of the comments and like Dave Smith's thing uh, with, with chase, um, even though it wasn't Dave Smith, I want to say that over and over and over again, I felt like Dave Smith's comment was actually a really good one. Um, his followers, um, 
like to talk about gatekeeping in the Libertarian Party and uh, how they have historically been gatekept out. I don't know if that's a verb, but they've been gatekept out. Um, and 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 they talk about how gatekeeping is this like evil whatever, and that uh, there's there's room for for us, and there should be room for us. Um, and then what they do is take it that that one extra step further and say that Chase Oliver doesn't belong, and it's like that's gatekeeping, y'all. Like Chase Oliver doesn't speak your language. That's fine. What he does is speak the language of liberty. What he does is he talks about how people shouldn't be in cages for nonviolent crimes. What he does is he talks about individuality and making personal choices for yourself. And that's what's important to liberty, regardless if you talk about GSM issues or put he, him in your profile or anything like that. Um, who cares? Who, who actually cares about he, him when you're talking about liberty? Because you have the liberty to not put he, him in your profile, and he's not out there shitting on you for not putting that there. Some people are, for sure. Yep. 100%. Some people are doing that. It's not Chase. And so we have to learn in our movement not to go out there and look at people like Chase who are not advocating for really forcing anyone to do anything. He's and been anti-lockdown from the beginning. Yeah. With the words you're using, but like you're right (laughs) sure right it's it's like let let tom woods be tom woods let chase oliver be chase oliver that's right reach your people like and there's no reason division of labor we should be good business partners that's right Uh, lou why don't you tell us what's on what's give us a piece of your mind oh so i'm totally switching gears here a little bit um something has really been on my mind lately both you know politically, professionally, all of these things is um, the value of labor, right? And I know that we have a maybe majority libertarian audience here. So, and a lot of the activists get it. We burn ourselves out for little to nothing, right? We, I have spent on numerous campaigns up to 20 hours a day, seven days a week for little to nothing. But like we do it because we love it. We do it because we're passionate about whatever the cause, the campaign, the candidate, whatever, you know, but there has been this sort of culture developed in the LP of, well, voluntarism means free, right? (laughs) Oh, you're going to do this $5,000 service for me for nothing or maybe a hundred bucks. And there's this sort of double-edged sword because we understand that, you know, particularly when it comes to um, campaigns and and causes and, and things like that in the movement, like there may not, there's not always a big budget, right? We do know that fundraising is a big thing and everybody hates doing it, but we have to. And, Oh God, fundraising is the worst. Anybody out there listening, don't ever ask me to be a fundraiser for you. I <laughs> I can do a billion things. Fundraising isn't it. Um, <laughs> but we just don't. And I don't know if it's that we don't have the base, if we don't have the, um, the talent pool to go out and do it. I don't know what it is. 
But I think that over time has created this culture where we do not value people's labor and time appropriately as a party who claims to be pro-capitalist, right? And I say that kind of loosely because we are currently in the middle of linguistic change of the word capitalism, right? And that being a whole other episode of, you know, I say capitalism, I mean free market, I'm free to trade and interact with whomever I want. You know, you say capitalism and it means the exploitation of workers and blah, blah, blah. Like there's so many different meanings. So I like to use the word free market. However, as, you know, a party who stands on this platform that very much consists of free market and capitalism paying for things that are worth whatever, we do not value each other's time and labor and effort. We just don't. And I very recently, which is kind of ironic that this is legitimately the second podcast I've done in several, several years of working in the party. Most of the work I've done has been like sort of behind the scenes. I do a lot of social media, journalism, PR stuff. Um, and so I'm, I'm very rarely the face, right? I'm the voice behind the face. That's, you know, that's usually me. Um, so it's kind of ironic that I'm appearing here now because officially I have my work in the party. Um, as far as accepting any roles in campaigns, um, previous, you know, I have run my own business for quite a while doing PR, graphics, marketing, the whole shebang. And out of my own pocket, and I don't think that a lot of people understand this, I pulled my retirement and every penny I had to develop a system and build tools and get get access to databases over $10,000. And I have spent 20 hours a day, seven days a week on campaigns to utilize these systems in a way that I can just say, okay, here's all of this stuff. I'm going to get you what you need, package it neatly and organize it. Here you go. And there comes a point where, you know, I want to volunteer this and I want to give and give and give, but I can't, I'm burnt, I'm fried, right? And then if I look in the, like on the civilian side and take exactly what I'm doing for our party or what I had done for our party and do it in the civilian corporate world, right? The big bad corporate world. I'd be making six plus figures. Now, I never expect that regardless of party, unless I'm actually working for like the presidential campaign of the R's or D's, right? I never expect that kind of income. Nobody should on political campaigns, except from, you know, you know, talking about local stuff. It's never going to be big dollar, but there's something. And there's, there is a culture of not truly valuing labor um, and time that people commit. So I pivoted, right? And I am, I'm still in the process of sort of finalizing some things on my exit. 
Um, but I've pivoted and some of you know, some of you don't, I started tattooing and which is sort of a straight, like most people run out, drop out of college and tattoo and your parents are like, ah, you're ruining your life. Right. But when you do it after college, after a very successful career and you're like in your late thirties and have kids, your parents are like, oh, I'm so proud of your artistic abilities. Just so you know, if you ever want to do something crazy, wait till you're in your thirties. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you know, what I thought was strictly a LP culture is not. And I'm learning that the hard way. Uh, you know, one of the things that we experience a lot in the tattoo industry is someone will come in with this big, brilliant, amazing idea for a piece of art they want on their body. And we are tasked with creating it. Now, we all know Risa right? Risa Willis, who does this amazing artwork. She does these colored pencil drawings of super realistic animals. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money that, okay, first of all, let's be realistic. She probably is charging less than half of what other professional artists charge for a commissioned piece just like this. Yep. But it's still, it's pricey, but I mean, it's worth it. What is it about tattoos specifically that people don't think that our time and energy and effort and labor into creating an original piece of commissioned art for you isn't worth you paying a drawing deposit? Because if you don't show up on the day I've scheduled you for six hours of work after I've already put in 10 hours of drawing, I just made zero dollars if I don't have a butt parked in that seat and then you know and that ties in with something you know I think Hody and I were talking about this prior to the show um something we're seeing a lot of right now is people complaining that the service industries fast food things like that everybody's like closing we don't have the help we're hiring we need bodies blah 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 and there's this massive blame game happening and going around discussing the idea that, oh, it's because everybody's getting free money from the government and it's all about the unemployment. No, it's because people are not valuing labor the way they should. Those jobs are $7 an hour, seven fifteen an hour, nine at the best. You make manager, you're making $9 an hour, maybe 12 if you're lucky. It's insane. And I'm not like, I'm going to, pause right here. I'm not a like woo, $15 an hour, you know, let's mandate that. Like, that's not my thing. Cause I understand that will kill thousands of small businesses. <clears throat> you know, maybe it should be a percentage. Maybe it should. I don't know. Lou, can I jump in a little bit here? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay, cool. I, I, I just wanted to say that I think, I think it's it's worthwhile to say that it's a combination of the two. People were already frustrated with the amount of compensation that they were getting. And then also this pandemic came along where we uh, flooded a bunch of money into the economy and then made it worthwhile for them not to work. And so the people who were on the edge said, you know what? screw it, man. I'm just, I'm just going to do what I'm doing. And, and that's that it sort of gave them the power to do that. Now, whether that's good or bad, 
um, we can probably discuss for hours and hours and hours, but I don't think it's very useful to say it's one thing and not the other and not this. And it is this, it's both, it's both. It's a, it's a very complicated thing that happened. Totally agree with you. In fact, and that's exactly what I had said to Hody and I, I was working my way there. (laughs) Sorry. No, but you're absolutely right. And I totally agree with you. Like, I think what it was is honestly a lot of people getting laid off, getting the unemployment, the stimulus, people who were like on the cusp of like, I could actually kind of quit and still collect, you know, and survive are people who were like, oh my God, I am paycheck to paycheck on this minimum wage. I cannot quit to work on myself, to get it, to finish the three credits I need for my degree to do blah, 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 and blah, to take the time to go find and go interview. Like, but now they had that sort of something to bridge the gap, right? And what I'm finding here, and this is specific to Indiana, we are a big um, industry, like we're in, we have a lot of plants, a lot of metal fabrication type stuff. and all these plants pay pretty well. They have great benefits, all this, but they are such in high demand jobs, particularly like first shift, that there was almost never anything available. And if there was, like you kind of had to know somebody, right? And everybody who was sort of like in other service industries who were making minimum wage had been wanting so badly to get into these industries. Well, when all the layoffs happened at the beginning of the pandemic, now we're opening back up. And so everybody's flooding to these other industries that start at, you know, we have an Amazon plant here. And of course people are, oh, Jeff Bezos didn't pay taxes. Yeah, well, they start at $18 an hour. So, you know, pick your battles for Christ's sakes. (laughs) And everybody I know who works at this plant loves it. They have great benefits. Their time off is wonderful, blah, 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 the whole thing. So I, yes, you are correct. Like it is both things. I think that gap filler allowed people a moment to breathe and finish their degrees or take time to really hone their skills and do this and that. And me included, me included, I got laid off from a job as a curriculum developer for a finance company, right? Like that doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm like listening to you talk and I'm like, well, one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> right? Tattoo artist, <laughs> curriculum developer, and also Wonder Woman. To the, uh, well, well a, fi- a, fi- a curriculum de- developer to the man. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, no, I mean, well, I did do a lot of that for, for Larry Sharp and he is the man. He is the I man. Have to we can all agree on that. I, you know, and I'll be, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his advice three, four years ago. Follow your dreams. Do this, do that. Anyway, so the point of all of that is I don't, I, I'm coming to understand that it really doesn't matter what you do. There is a culture in this entire country of not valuing labor the way that we should, whether that's, you know, monetarily in appreciation, hell, uh, tipping, right. 
we talk about, we see that we see this debate a lot. And you know, when we talk about in restaurant industry, wait staff, same tattooing is commonly known as a tipping environment. Like you go get a tattoo. If you like it, you're happy. You tip. I don't know if people don't know that or if they don't care. I don't know. It's, it's strange. And I'm, yes, this is something I'm learning that isn't just insular to the LP. It's everywhere. And it's frustrating. I, I, I think we just appreciate each other more. Hody, I don't know the format of this thing, but I'm, I'm going to jump in again just because. You're faster um, than me on the draw. You win. um i i I just i i I just want to um push back against the fact that we don't value labor we value labor um free markets and sometimes we have them in america there there are some out there and and they're all bastardized uh greatly by the government and cronious policies and things like that but we do value labor um generally and the way that we know that is that people were working those hours. Now, I won't fault the people who were working in those environments um, from saying, well, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And so this other situation that's better for me, uh, I'm going to move into that. That that makes total sense. You will always move into a better situation for yourself. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean that it didn't make sense at the time to do the thing before, and so um, and, and that your value the 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 value of your labor was not being appreciated because it was. Otherwise, you you just you would have quit. Like like really like you just would have gotten out of that somehow some way. You would have been like. F you, I'm out. I don't know. I don't know. And and maybe this is specific to my community, right? We have a very large, low-income community. Many people are barely paycheck to paycheck. So the idea of quitting means your family is homeless in a week. It doesn't give you the opportunity, you know, and you're working crazy at second shift, because that's all you could get. Um, that's all that was available. Second shift. Well, if you've ever worked second shift, there's no time for any kind of life. You but, know, but, but you but you did it, and and you, you you know, I know you you think the alternative was if I quit, I'll be homeless. But like that no, that probably is a little hyperbolic. Uh, what's that? I have been in that position. It literally, was the alternative. I packed everything I owned myself and my kid and my pickup truck and left. And, and, and the choice and the choice that you picked was I'm going to work for something that did not put me in that situation and it didn't put you in that situation. You're correct. Right? You're correct, but in you know, in that time like that was my only option. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. Right. Right? So it went from like <laughs> I have this barely paycheck to paycheck to I'm practically like I got nothing. I think my point is that the existence of better situations does not preclude the, um, the situation that you're in from being negative. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not negative just because there's a better way to be. I agree. All right. 
So y'all, y'all, you're dealing with a lot of hypotheticals, and you should have asked the man first. This is why I should have well, been faster on that. You wanted to argue. I think you put a center and a left and a left in here, and I, no. I felt, I felt that I needed to be right. <laughs> I'm about to go so far right wing that I'm going to sound left wing for a second, and let me let me explain that because that actually is true. Because I'm about to dunk on some like hardcore capitalist values right here. So I actually was working at Golden Corral making tips before the pandemic. Pandemic shut us down. I got the chance to pursue my dream job. I now write for video games instead of working at Golden Corral. Wait, that what video games? Can you tell me about that? I'm sorry. I'm a video game writer. I actually write for, for what? what does that mean? What, what do you write for? I write for Game Rant and I write for the gamer. Uh, the parent company is Valnet. They also own Screen Rant. Um, a few right. others, but yeah. Oh, send, me um, stuff. send me stuff. I'm a gamer. So comic book stuff. resources. So uh, for example, uh, tomorrow I am going to live stream play through resident evil village and I'm going to write 25 plus articles about it uh, within the next week. So there you go. Uh, well, don't send of, me that. Don't send lot, me that. <laughs> a lot of guides, a lot of top 10 stuff. I just finished doing the, um, a lot of articles about MLB, the show. And cool. I did um, basically if it's a hit release, I'm going to be writing about it. So wow. yeah, that's, that's my ish, but that was my dream job. And so what, here's the thing. I'm not unique. If you look at it, the unemployment rate is not through the roof right now, which is a freaky thing for all these service providers, uh, you know, people that need people in the service industry, because right now they're without people to give the service. And those people are no longer unemployed. Let me tell you something about servers. They are hustlers. Anybody who's good at service does not want anybody wanting who's working in service that wants a $15 minimum wage. You're an idiot. You get out of here. Like you don't get it. Right. Because here's the thing. Take my whole paycheck. We don't make paychecks. Are you serious? They usually pay you like $2, you know, $3 an hour. The government takes the whole thing. So I actually, because I don't like paying taxes was like, I don't even want to be on the clock. I don't want to pay them anything, you know, like just let me work here. Right. And they're like, Oh, that's better for us. We don't have to pay. We don't pay taxes. We don't get to pay you. We don't get to pay the government. This, this works for everybody. Right. I probably shouldn't be saying that, but yeah, I had a really cool manager at golden corral. He was dope. Anyway. So you show up and I just want the tips. I just want the tips. So what I do is I'm just like, all right, here's the thing. I can get $25 an hour if I'm super cool with people. If I'm funny, if I'm engaging, if I'm doing all these, if I'm doing my job, obviously, I can get $15 an hour. So when somebody's like, we don't want to tip, we just want you to make minimum wage, I'm like, you are talking about cutting my wages into like a $7 an hour job and I won't work that job anymore. So here's the thing, people aren't going out as often. We know that just empirically, data. And the job is harder because of all the restrictions we placed upon it. And what happens when you do that to a whole bunch of people that are used to hustling? Uh, I want to note that a lot of these billboards that you're talking about, that we're talking about that are across the nation, like, please show up. We're looking for people who are on time. We just want people to show up to their interviews. The reason you're having that problem is because the people that were the most on time, the most willing to pick up shifts, they didn't just sit around during the pandemic. They made themselves better. You're talking about hustlers. These people are the captains of hustling. Like, I I'm telling you, I've never made, I have never made, worked at a restaurant where I made more, made less than the manager there. Never. Not yeah. once. I've worked at Golden Corral. I've worked at Buffalo Wild Wings. I've worked at Texas Roadhouse. I've worked at, I mean, I've even worked at freaking Chick-fil-A and I could fill up the jar on cash cashier faster than my manager could make dollars per hour. I mean, it's just, and, and that is the nature of the person who is there. And so the idea that these people just got lazy is incredibly inaccurate. 
They're no longer available. The numbers show that out. We went and did something else. Now, here's the important thing. And here's where I'm going to say that I went so far. I'm going to go so far right on capitalism that I'm going to sound like a lefty. I like the socialist definition of capitalism because what the socialists did is is, – because capitalism wasn't a term. And the socialists look at cattle and they say, well, who owns the cow? And And the socialists actually said the capitalists would say the individual owns the cow. And the capital actually refers to the head of cattle. So who, re- who owns that head of cow- cattle? An individual should, should own that he- head of cattle. Okay, what do we have? Do we have a society that does that? Let me ask you this. If you work at McDonald's and you're working the fryer, do you own your fryer? Do you re- own the fries that come out of that fryer? No, you don't. Do you get a percentage of the profits? No, you don't. This is incredibly- No, no, wait, wait. You do get a percentage of the profits. You get the percentage of the profits that you agreed to work per hour. You get a wage slave, which is mandated by you get a captain wage slave. Come on, you agree to speak. You get a set wage that is set by the government. Frederick Douglass, I love the dude because he advocated for wage slavery before he called it wage slavery and said like, hey, this seems better. This protects people. And then he saw the result of it and was like, no, you make a lot more money on on like getting a percentage of the profits up too bad. Legally, we will punish you if you don't pay people their wage slave. Government loved it. Big business loved it. People did not like it. So let's just say that the income of a business remains static for whatever reason. And and it won't, it doesn't make this, this, this is wildly theoretic. Sure. Um, But, and, and you were not working at that place. Then they would make the profit that you produced uh, without paying you, right? And so when you decide to work there, you're cutting into the profits of the company that you decide to work for. So you are, in fact, earning a percentage of the profits of the company that you're working for. But here's the thing. Your wage is paid from that profit. It is not a percentage of the profit. Now, I am talking about something ridiculous. It is a percentage of the profit. A percentage is a static thing. I mean, it's a... It is. Percentages aren't static. If I, I could grow I my could, business by $100. Any given, business, any given business, I could take your income and the income, the profit of the company, and I could say it was a percentage of the profit. I could I could come up with that number. Okay. So here's here's the deal, and here's why you're wrong. Adam Smith goes in great detail about this <laughs> when he talks about nails, right? He loved to, to look at how different places handled making nails. As they say, who makes, who gets these nails afterward? How do they split those? I'm sorry. I missed that. This is Adam Smith. Okay. Um, And so, and so what he looked at is the, who makes the nails. Now, first he looked at how they made the nails and that's how he kind of arrived at the division of labor thing. But then he's like, how do these people become prosperous? Well, it's in the way in which that they sell those nails. Now, the ones that have a corporation that sells it and then says, Hey, I tell you what, I'll give you each $15 $15 an hour, don't care how many nails you make, you're each getting $15 an hour, whatever. Those people were not as prosperous as the ones who say, hey, I'm going to sell it and we're all getting X percent. And that X percent is higher because those people have more incentive to do that. Yeah, and carrots so, are better than sticks. Got it. Right. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. And so the thing is, is this, this sound, as I said, it's such a right wing theory that it sounds left, but that's only because of the times that we're in right now. You didn't because you prove me wrong. You just said another thing that was right. 
It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm t- all I maybe and maybe I didn't say it in a way that you enjoyed the first time. I'm sorry, Ryan. But, <laughs> but this is this is one of those things that it's one of the reasons I love capitalism is because you look out and you say, who owns that cow? You should own your fryer. You should own a percentage of those sales and you should have stake an ownership in that. And people should know it. Now, Ooh, a lot of people in the, buy the fryer. I'm, people, I'm sorry. I'm just going to jump in here. Did you buy the fryer? Yes, I'm not saying it should be given to you. Yeah, you buy the fryer. You, you buy your, your own fryer. fryer and then bring the fryer to McDonald's and say, like, I've got this fryer here. I'd like yeah. to make I'd like to make French. That's I'm really good with it. What? Why would McDonald's not just buy the fryer and then just say, like, you come make fries in my fryer? They just might do that. Well, they do they do that. They rent it to you. Well, no. Of course. At a wage. What kind of fryer and who needs to be in charge and have their name on it? And how often it needs to be inspected and blah, blah, blah. So it has mm-hmm. to be a McDonald's fryer. It can't be your fryer because that's a liability. Thank you, government. Right. So, right. Well, yeah, that's people, fair. You want, that's you want things fair. fixed, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all I'm saying is, Lauren, I get it. Um, I, 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 want, I do want to turn this back to your point, which is specifically about people in service. Um, let me ask you this. When we looked at, let, let me give you an example of somebody in the service industry. Let's take the referees in football. They're not providing the product. They're just providing some service with it. How much it was it worth to football fans when those replacement refs stepped on the field versus the good ones? How much more were they willing to pay for that superiority? You know, and people will pay for that superior service. And so the thing is, is, is service is very valuable, even as a function of profits. Because Lauren, you're correct. A lot of people tend to look at just pure product and say, this is all that matters. Product is all that matters. Service matters a great deal. The people who paid me were happy to pay me, I think. I don't remember drawing a gun on too many of them. But, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I had a great sob story, too, for, for my life and how things were going. But yeah, I, I do appreciate that because I love to talk economics anytime I can, especially when it gets to sound like a right winger and the left at the same time ryan please give us a piece of your mind oh boy um <clears throat> i feel like oh, we're, we're running late on time can what? i Lou, what's up yeah super quickly yeah i just i i wanted i was waiting but i wanted to really quickly touch back on a point where you talk about how people in the service industry particularly like food bars you know that sort of thing um are truly hustlers and i have to give the biggest shout out to one of the most amazing women I know, Chrissy Wiggers, because when this all started, she was still in school and bartending and whatever. And then after the pandemic, like through that, like that girl has hustled her ass off while, might I add, she was out actively protesting in Ohio and she was hit the state house and she was talking to the news and writing press releases and working her ass off here. She was also hustling for her life. And I'm not, it's her personal business. And I know she likes to keep some of that private. So I'm not going to like say any details. That girl went from bartending in college to like her dream freaking job and actually being offered a job way better than the one she actually interviewed for at that company. Like they called her back and were like, sorry, you didn't get this, but we're going to give you like 87 levels above because we think you're that awesome because she's that kind of hustler. She's exactly the kind of woman you were talking about, honey. And I just wanted to give a shout out to her because as soon as you said that, she was the one that popped in my mind. Truly free markets at work. People value labor. I will tell you that people value labor. For sure. Um, Anyway. (laughs) 
Okay. Yes and no. Yes and no. Well, you just I, gave a great I, example of about the value of no, labor, and and no, you are correct. I think people don't understand the value of certain types and, of labor until you see the fail Mary. Packers and Seahawks fans, until you've seen the fail Mary, you don't know the value of good labor. You just gave an example of, <laughs> of a company valuing labor. I, I don't know any other way to explain that. I, do I I'm, sure, I'm sure there's counterexamples as well, but I, I do want to... Anecdotal. Have, we, we anecdotal. Have to get to Ryan before this thing ends. Well, I'm sure yeah, we will argue it other sure time. we are libertarians fashion, we should just go forever, right? I mean, we should just right. talk for yeah. hours and hours and hours. Oh, that's hours. right. Just no deadlines, no respect for the audience's time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about immigration. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things that people say on, you know, Facebook and Twitter or whatever is I'd be a libertarian except for your stance on immigration. Um, you can't have immigration. You can't have free immigration. And, and, and my stance, just so we're all very, very clear, um, <clears throat> the free movement of peaceful people uh, should not be inhibited uh, in any way, uh, in any, any way, period, 100%. Um, that does not mean that I don't believe there should be checkpoints um, where people come in and say, uh, I'm a peaceful person. And you say, yeah, okay, cool. Check. You're a peaceful person. We know that. Um, and, and, and by peaceful person, I mean that you have not been convicted of any crime, uh, with due process, which is very key of any kind of violent crime with a victim. Right. Um, and so d with due process, uh, would would require us to say that these countries um, actually have due process. So you can't say, well, you're coming from Russia and they said that this and that and whatever, um, but it was because Putin said you're this, that and whatever. Um, that's not due process. And so we don't we don't allow that. And And people will say, well, that'll allow too many people. And I'm like, I don't really care. So <laughs> like the, the, not really an argument. Um, we, we were founded as a nation that said um, we would rather have nine innocent people uh, go free than, than one innocent people uh, get convicted of a crime. Um, uh, right. I mean, we are nine guilty people go free than one innocent person be convicted of a crime. Sorry, I got that wrong. I'm, I'm a couple of beers deep. <laughs> Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's what we believe in. That's the American dream. That's, that's the principle that we were founded on. Uh, and I'm really excited to be part of that. But the first thing that everyone says, um, specifically people from the right, um, and I do hate right and left, and I know that's, um, wrong on this podcast. And I probably have argued the right side, uh, a lot of times here, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, I needed a right-leaning right voice. You've done fantastic. Uh, I appreciate it. I called myself center, and I, apparently I lied. Um, it just, just depends on who I'm talking to, I think. Um, but, okay. but the people on the right will say, well, we have this welfare uh, country. We have this country founded on, well, or not founded on. We have this country that has all this welfare, the welfare state. And so we can't let these people in. And so what they've done is they've let terrible policy dictate even more terrible policy uh and that frustrates me to no end that they say well we can't let people be free because we don't let people be free 
is, is basically the 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 argument. Um, but it's and not true. I. <laughs> um and and what i what i say is that as long as as long as you're making that argument you're actually making you're making the argument to make it bad in all cases you're saying that we can't do this because of the welfare state we can't let people be free because of the wef- welfare state um and so, therefore, we should not let people be free, and we should let the welfare state exist. <laughs> I mean, it's like this crazy, uh, like, status thing where I say, maybe we should let these people in. And if they are having such an impact on the welfare state, if, if in fact, that's true. And, Lou, I, I agree with you, actually, that it's not actually true. Um, they do not have an impact on the welfare state. But if they do, if we just accept this premise, then the only way we'll be able to tear it down is if there's stress on it. So we have to stress out the welfare state. So in this like weird world where we're in uh, saying that they, they both can't, uh, they're both true at the same time and that we can't let them in here because they're going to stress us out for whatever reason We're we are, not having freedom in the welfare state and we are not having freedom of peaceful people to move across borders. And I'm like, let's change it. Let's, uh, let's, let's toss it up. Let's just like, see what happens when we like throw some stress at this thing. Uh, so, I can- so you're taking the Darwinism approach. <laughs> Uh, a little bit. I mean, there's there's not going to be any movement unless like like we're not going to be able to attack the welfare state as long as it's uh like stable, which it, it it is like arguably right this very instant stable, and that's all people can see. But if people are like shit in like two years, this is going to fail because of all these immigrants. Then like maybe we should start peeling it back. Right. <laughs> I can give you my thoughts uh, pretty succinctly on this. I yeah. wrote um, I wrote an article um, for a, a, a published article in The Heretic um, about open borders. I believe I called it the four absurdities of border control. It, uh, it got some real actual mainstream uh, reading, and it was really cool. What's The Heretic? Uh, the Heretic in Atlanta is a gay bar. Oh, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about that one on air. <laughs> not when my not when my girlfriend's still in the room. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, the so, so uh, it was it's run um, it was run by Ryan Lindsay. It's now defunct, but the uh, the, the uh, it's still up there and still available to see. And it it exploded for good and bad reasons. I would say it was about fifty fifty. Like people loved it and hated it, but I think I had something like eighty plus studies and you know links and and something like that to it it was it's a quick it's a quick enough read i think it's like a five minute article if you go through it um but i think i can summarize this down to 30 seconds uh it's not uh welfare spending is non-discretionary um which means it's on a fixed percentage um it can go up and down but it's up and down based on a percentage um if you believe that immigrants as as ryan correctly uh, noted, which good for you, Ryan. I haven't heard many people uh, say this, but uh, it, and we would um, look. The people who are coming in currently would not overburden the welfare system because they are net positives. If we did open our borders, we would get a lot of people who were not net positives because they want 
America's a lot better than a lot of some of these other countries are doing. Some of that's America's fault, but they would come here and more people would come here who are indeed destitute, who are in need of help. Okay. First of all, you should be really excited to help these folks and form them into the new libertarians. But secondly, they would overburden the system. And because that system, like I said, it's fixed. It's a slice of pie. So if we have 80 more people grabbing a slice of pie, what happens to the slice of that pie? It gets thinner. You're going to get less people dependent on that because that slice of that pie is so thin. And then you're going to say, um, we might as well not have it anymore. Make it go away. Um, that, that's kind of the, that is boiling it down. I do go into some more details as far as monetarily why that works out. But, uh, Ryan, I, I applaud you for understanding how that works because you are just, you actually protect the welfare state by having closed borders. Uh, Bernie Sanders was okay with closed borders for the longest time. He changed his tune when it didn't become popular, but he was closed borders for the longest time because you, you have to be. Restrictions. Yeah, look look at any look at any Scandinavian country that has expansive welfare states, um, very very enforced borders, very enforced immigration controls, um, and those two things are hand in hand. The reason uh, Hayek actually became a capitalist after he was a socialist was because he decided it was unethical to enforce borders, and he would have to do so to become a socialist. So to to enforce a socialist utopia. That is true. I didn't do that in 30 seconds, but there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate my guests, uh, Ryan and Lou, you both. uh, Ryan, you came in like last second, and I really appreciate it. We're going to have to skip on a show today. Ryan saves our lives. Thank you very much. Woo! I almost didn't make it. Lou almost didn't make it. Lou is just moving in, everybody. So if you're worried about like her mic or internet or whatever, she is on the most makeshift of makeshift. I mean... Look at look at behind her. She doesn't have anything set up, and she set up this podcasting stuff literally just for us. I, I, I'm I'm sorry. I thought the stonework uh, was is fantastic. Or I think the stonework is fantastic, and the bookcase that is inset in the stonework. I was like, I, I've been amazing? pretty impressed with that throughout. So we're gonna turn this into the master bedroom eventually. Like maybe okay. we should do an episode that's all about like my new interior design. No, I'm just kidding. Two thumbs up, Lou. Yeah, awesome. Oh, hey. thank you guys. Anyhow, Love thank it. you We're both so back. much for joining the Good show. We will hear from you both uh, probably later on. Um, I've got a bunch of lefty, righty, and centrist hosts to hear from. And if you're ever interested in left, right, and center libertarian positions, please listen to Enemy of My Enemy on the We're Libertarians Network. Listener, I love you, and I'll see you next time.